0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com Thank you so much, Rosh Kaila Rabbi Viverfeld, for the very kind and generous introduction. I'm quite humbled to witness, and I can attest to the tremendous reverberations that this Koilo has to the entire community, and beyond. The effect that Torah has on families, on neighborhoods, on communities, is an eternal uh, ramification. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu she gives Fiat to the Rosh Koilel. I want to give a special thank you to Rabbi Zephrin who I had the good fortune to be in contact with on numerous occasions about every step of the way, and every drasha. And the amount of Koychas he put into the entire weekend. And I'm grateful for his friendship. I want to give a special Akara to the Propus Mishbacha And their very warm and gracious hospitality. I've learned so much from being in their wonderful home. May HaKadosh Baruch Hu Them. With continued brachah And for all those who are friends of the Koylel. And support the Kailal And support the Torah. While you are supporting the tyra, our humble bracha is may the Torah support you, elevate you, raise you up in good health, gezint, Nachas, Adbias, goyel Sadak. April 19th, 1943. Only three Rabbanim are still left in the Warsaw ghetto. Three Goyne Oilam. Rav Shemshin Shtakhamer, we spoke about him last night, Ramanachem Zemba, and Rav David Kahana Shapiro. These three rabbanim convened in one of the most frightful decisions in recent Jewish history. And they only had one hour to decide. They had just received word from the Judenrat that they were sent a message from the Catholic Church of Warsaw that they have 24 hours to get out of the ghetto and then their lives would be spared. They had 60 minutes to decide otherwise. They were going down with the Jews of the Warsaw Ghetto. Just to paint the picture of the deplorable conditions that the ghetto was in, 1943, no language has ever been created to describe the wretched conditions of the Warsaw Ghetto. I read to you an article of an eyewitness account of what the ghetto was like. This was written by my grandfather the Levrachar Mordechai Leib Gladstein, who wrote in a book entitled "Theological and Halachic Reflections of the Holocaust." He writes as follows: "Ani hagever ra, ani I am the man who saw the affliction of his people. I am the witness, and I am the victim." I saw the Warsaw Ghetto littered with corpses, faces distorted and swollen, their eyes open wide, and blood everywhere, skulls crushed, rivers of blood, the blood of our children, of our brothers and sisters, our fathers and mothers. No imagination, no matter how daring, could conceive of anything we lived through, writes my grandfather. In 1942, my great-grandfather, the Racha, the last rav of the city of Sachachov, was taken to the Warsaw Ghetto together with my grandmother. As soon as they get there, the Gestapo grabbed my grandmother's brother, Tzvi Hersh. Nobody ever saw him again. That was the horror and the terror of the Warsaw Ghetto. And friends, between me and you, there's very little that these rabbis could do for their... Constituents and for their respective kahilos at this 11th hour. To make matters worse, this was April 19th. Tomorrow, April 20th, was the birthday of the Fuhrer, Yamach Shemoy. And executioner Himmler declared that as a birthday gift to Hitler, the Warsaw ghetto would be annihilated. And people are running into Menachem Zemba's homes with problems. Nobody should ever have to hear with problems pressing on the hearts. Here, you know Rav Menachem Zemba, world-renowned Talmud Chacham, he was offered to be the chief rabbi of Jerusalem, which he declined. Upon the untimely passing of Rameer Shapiro, he was offered to be Rav of Lublin and Rosh Hashiva of Yeshiva Chachmei Lublin. Before age 40, Rav Menachem Zemba was the honorary secretary of the Mayetzes G'doyley HaTorah in Europe. My grandfather was a Ben Bayes by Rav Menachem Zemba, and he says, behind his dining room table, there was a svarim Shrank, a bookcase. And that bookcase contained not svarim, but tens of thousands of pages of Chidush Torah that Rav Menachem Zemba wrote thousands of pages on the entire Rambam called Machsei HaMelech. A commentary on the entire Yushalmi. Hundreds of tshuvas. Chedushim on Bavli, on Shulchan Aruch, on Medrash. And tragic scenes are taking place in front of the eyes of Ramanachem Zemba. Here you have a husband. He comes in with his wife. They have a way to escape the ghetto. The only thing is, the woman, she's scared to go. She has a very noticeable Jewish nose, she's afraid she'll be caught. Or she has an elderly parent, or she just could not bring herself to leave, but she didn't want to hold back her husband from saving his life. And against their will, they came to Menachem Zemba to get a get in the 11th hour. Dozens of people lining up in the home of Menachem Zemba to get divorced against their will. And the husbands were crying, and the wives were crying, and Rabbi Menachem Zemba was crying, and my grandfather said, the Mizbeach itself was Yoreh Mois." This is just a flavor, a taste of the atmosphere of the Warsaw Ghetto in April 1943. And these three Rabbanim have 60 minutes to decide whether they should stay in the ghetto together with Achenu Bnei Yisrael, or get out and save their own skin, and they convened a bezdin. Rav Ravdavid Rav David Shapiro, and Rav Menachem Zemba. And certainly, this is dine nefashos. This is a capital case, and when it comes to dine nefashos, poys chin b'katan. You start with the smallest one, with the youngest one, and they offered Rav David Shapiro to voice his opinion first. <coughs> And Rav David Shapiro declares from the depths of his soul, we can't help our people. But if we stay with them and we encourage them and our presence will give them support, will strengthen their hopes, this is the only thing I have the strength to do, I don't have the kayak to leave my people. Can we run from the Almighty? The same God that is found here is found outside of the ghetto. And Rav Shimson and Rav Nachim Zemba are dumbfounded at this psak halacha. Whereupon Rav Nachem Zemba gives a clap on the stender. That's the psak. There's nothing more to say. There's nothing else we could say. We're staying here. They inform the Judenrat they're not going anywhere. And come what may, they will die with the Jews of the Warsaw ghetto. I heard this story about Rav David Shapiro from Rabbi Hanan Zon who was the head of the Heber Kadish in America and he had a personal family connection to Rav David Shapiro and he mentioned what a difficult time he had understanding the P'sak of these Gedolei Israel. between me and you it's very nice that these great rabbis stayed with the people, but what could they do with these people in the 11th hour? What kind of support could they offer? What kind of encouragement could they give? Could they really add anything to this wretched situation? Isn't the halacha, Rabbi Propus and I were discussing the sugya, isn't there a mitzvah that when you only have one cup of water and two people need it, you drink it yourself? Doesn't your own life come first? <coughs> it is a historical fact that many Gedoylim, many Admoirim who had the opportunity to leave and save themselves from the horrors of the Holocaust, while thousands of their Talmudim and Hasidim were gassed or cremated, they took advantage of the opportunity. Many of the Hasidusim today are only due to the fact that the Rebbe's took advantage of the opportunity to save their own skin while the rest of the chasidus was destroyed in Europe. But they were able to rebuild. There's a future for Klai Yisrael today. There are yeshivas today. There are, there are courts of chassidus today because these great rabbis took advantage of the opportunity that they were given. The Panovich Rav Yosef Shleima Kahanaman 1941, the Jews of Panovich. they they're taken to the Pajanes forest. They're murdered there. How many Rabbonim survived the Lithuanian Holocaust? None. There were no survivors. Except for the Panovićer Rav. Rav was saved because he wasn't there. Because he was en route from Palestine to the United States Fundraising, like the Pannovvitchirov knew how to do. You know, they say. How do you know there's no life on Mars? Because if there was, the Pannovvitcharrov would have fundraised there. <laughs> Pannovvitcharrov missed the Holocaust. His wife, Rebitsen Fega, all the children were killed except for one, and at the Hakamas Matseva for the Pannovvitcharrov in Bnei Brak, the Rosh Hashiva of Panovich got up, Rav Shmuel Rezovsky, and he said you should know that the soul of the Panovich Rav knew no rest, no respite. He was beleaguered, he was plagued, he was haunted his whole life. Everything the Panovich Harav ever did was to somehow assuage the guilt that he had. Shehu Hayochid Shenitzel Miko Rabbon Elita He's the only rabbi who survived the Holocaust. Why did he fundraise everywhere? Boys' schools, girls' schools, yeshivas, besiakovs. What motivated the man? The man was on a mission. Says the Rav Shmuel (laughs) hitzalti." He didn't want to feel, I saved myself, but my ship went down. Many Gadoilem, on the other hand, demonstrated supernatural... Inner strength, who had the opportunity to save their lives and their families, and not only did they not save their lives, they returned to the horrors of Europe. Rav Khanan he was in America. He was in Yeshiva Taravadas. Rab Shalli Mahaiman says, Rabbachhanan, I will step down, you will be the next Yeshiva of Yeshiva Tarvadas. Rabbachan said, What about my Talmudim? Rab Gadal Yeshur was procuring visas for many of the Talmidim of Baranovich. Rabbi Chanan said, I ain't staying, I'm going back. Why are you going back? My children, your children, my Talmidim. Rabbi Chanan had a stopover in London. They begged him, Rabbi Chanan, you're going back? They're going to murder you on the spot? Rabbi Chanan said, I cannot abandon ship. And I am very proud to say, and it's also extremely painful, that my great-grandfather, my Elta Zeda, Rabbi Hudolei Volman, Hashem Yim Kaim Damai, the last rav of the city of Sachachov, was offered by the Aguda Yisrael of America, a very prominent position in America, chief rabbi of America, to save him and his family. And he said, I'm not going. A faithful shepherd doesn't forsake his flock. And this is the fateful decision Rab Shloima Kahana, Rab David Shapiro, Rab Shimson Stachhammer, Menachem Zemba have to make. By the way, tell you a little bit what happened to Rab Shimson He somehow made it out of the ghetto. He was taken to a forced labor camp near Lublin, and he lost his entire family. And with great mitsiras nefesh. That was April 19th. He made it out of the Warsaw Ghetto. It's now Erev Pesach, 1943. And the Rav baked matzahs together with a certain doctor and they sneaked the matzahs out of the camp. On their bodies they were caught and they were beaten mercilessly. Two years later, Pesach, 1945. Rav made an announcement even though he was gravely ill, completely emaciated, he will not be eating chametz for eight days, which meant he will not be eating for eight days. They said, Rabbi, you know how to do this. You have to preserve your life. Rav Shtach said, believe me, I know the halacha, but there are 2,500 yiddin in this camp. Somebody has to declare to the world there's a Yom Tif of Pesach, there's an Indian of Chomets, we have to eat matzah, and I'm going to be the one. And miraculously, Reb Shemshin Stockhammer went eight days without eating and survived Pesach 1945. At the end of the war, all the inmates were rounded up, they were put on a cattle car, and they were headed west the Russians bombed the tracks. Rev Stockhammer's track was bombed. He was mortally wounded. And on the 13th day of ER 1945, Rev Shimshin Stockhammer returned his holy soul to his creator three days before liberation. And Rev Zon tells me, you know, I really did not understand the p'sak of these Gedoelim. What could they offer these poor souls, these Emaciated the bodies, these walking cadavers, of what benefit would it be to them to have three rabbis in the camp? He said, Daniel, I never understood this until you read an article your grandfather wrote. My grandfather describes what life was like in the Warsaw Ghetto and the death camps, and he asks, What provided us the secret, mysterious strength and endurance to continue breathing? Recently at my grandfather's Leviah a man came to Leviah on Har with all of his children and he said, I want you to know why I'm here because your grandfather saved my father's life because so many times in the death camps my father wanted to run to the electric barbed wire and kill himself and your grandfather said, no, you're not allowed to do that we're going to survive, the is going to protect us My grandfather asked, what gave us this mysterious strength? If not for the torch of Torah that provided me with light, with hope, with aspirations for the future, I would have given up. We had with us the rabbanim of Warsaw, Rav David Shapiro, Rav Shimson Stackhammer, many Gedolei Yisrael, and during those dismal and abysmal nights, they would say over Gemaras Balpeh, they would say over Lamedas Balpeh, they would say over Stasenas Balpeh. Bemachashakim hoyshivani Talmud Bavli, the Gemara that these precious Jews remembered and recited by heart served as the Ner Tamid. Eternal light to illuminate these downtrodden, hopeless souls. Rabbi Zon told me when I heard the hope and the spiritual energy and the transformation that Yidin felt when they heard these Rabbanim saying over Torah, Tarshaba, Peh, Gemaras, in the Gehenim, in the purgatory itself, now I understood why those rabbis felt they needed to be there. What they could do for these survive, for the potential survivors. And I believe that I am here today because of that fateful decision that Rabbi Nachum Zemba and Rabbi David Kahana and Rab Shimshin Shtakhamer made to stay in the ghetto and give chizuk to these yiddin by teaching Torah in the most impossible situations. I am here today. My children are here today because of that chizuk, because of that supernatural strength that these Gedolah Yisrael displayed. You know, we say every night in Marav, We say an expression. This expression is not an allegory. It's not a metaphor. It's not poetry. It's meant literally. What is the Torah to us? It's not a luxury. It's not a good deed. We say, Ki heim chayenu yameinu. It's literally our life. It is the essence of life. And stripped of all earthly benefit... But if we have the Torah, we have life, we have life itself. That's the first element that I would like to discuss tonight. And that's what a Koelel brings to the community. As the centerpiece of the community, even if you don't go in the Koelel, you pass by a koilel, you have the following message. The koilel cries out, like it says in Tikra. the Koilel cries out, what is life for a Jew in this world? What is the Kiheim Chayenu Va'orach Let's talk about a little bit of a more upbeat aspect of the Torah. Most people, you open up the Jewish magazines today, which is very dangerous. Very dangerous. You would think that Judaism is all about eating high-caloric carbohydrates that's the main objective of being Jewish especially when it comes to Shavuos you would think the main avoda is consuming cheesecake and cheesecake is quite important why do we eat dairy on Shavuos actually it's it's very interesting the first reference to chalav on Shavuos is found in one of the earliest Mishnahim the Kalbai but he says it's not just dairy Because the main source of eating dairy on Shavuos comes from the Pasuk in Shirim. Honey and milk are under your tongue. Where Shlomo HaMelech is saying, the Torah is so delicious, it's so delectable, it's so sweet, that it's a taste, it's a flavor of the combination of, of honey and milk. So we have milk to commemorate the delectability of the Torah. And therefore the Kolboi suggests that we have honey as well. The Torah is so delicious, it's compared to honey. But the Chavetz Chaim focuses on the comparison between Torah and honey in another way as well. Chavetz Chaim always yearned for the Mashiach. He was a kohen, and he felt that when Mashiach would come, it would be incumbent upon all the kohanim to know how to do the Avodah in the Beis HaMikdash. And he wrote a sefer called Likute Halachis where he describes halacha practically. How do we do the Avodah on the base of Mekdash? And in the introduction to Likutei Halachais, the Chafetz Chaim tries to explain why is Torah compared to honey? Why honey? And the Chafetz Chaim says a mind-boggling analogy. Chafetz Chaim says even though honey seems like a rather innocuous food item, honey is actually the most powerful food known to man. You're going to love me for this one. Is there any way that a Jew would be allowed to consume treif meat? No, come on. There's no, there's no, you can't come up with a heter for that. If We can. Right? So Chafetz Chaim according to most poiskims, the sweetness of honey, the power of honey is so potent... That if bread falls in honey, and it spends enough time there, it actually is transformed into honey itself. And what if a piece of chazer treif would fall into honey and stay there long enough? Says the Chafetz Chaim, according to most, the meat would dissolve, disintegrate, and be transformed into honey, and you'd be allowed to eat the treif meat. You heard it here first. Arab Shavuos. <laughs> 2021. Says the Chav, that's that is why Torah is compared to Honey. Here you have a guy. Here you have an individual. They don't have the best of character. Stop shaking your heads, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're an angry person. They're an arrogant person. They have desires. But that's before they started... Becoming engrossed in Limar HaTorah. But once the Jewish mind immerses itself in the honey of Torah, honey is so powerful. It has such a potent ability to create sweetness that you could take the most rough and tough and gruff person. If the person immerses themselves in honey, in the Torah, they become transformed. We're going to read in Perkeavis this Shabbos. The Torah is Machshartoi <laughs> leo. tzadik. The Torah kashers a person. Machsharta doesn't mean it prepares a person. It says, it kashers a person. A person can have bad qualities, bad character, bad personality traits. By immersing in the Torah, it could completely transform a person to become a different individual, a different entity. It kashers the person. That's the analogy of Dvash Vecholav Tachas HaShaynech. Rosh Kolel mentioned that he's a descendant of Chassam Sefer. Take the first letter of the Torah HaKtoysha. No? Base. Take the last letter of the Torah. Lamed. So far, so good. Take the middle two words of the Torah, Darosh, Darash. So the middle two letters, the Shin of Darosh, the Dalet of Darash. So so far we have a Bez, We have a Lamed. We have a Shin. And we have a Daled. What's the middle letter of the Torah? The Ches of Gachon and the Vav of Gachon. says the Chesam Soifer, you take the six end points and middle points of the Torah, Devash V'chalav, honey and milk. You want to know what the Torah is? You want to know how delicious, how delectable the Torah is? How sweet? How much satisfaction how much inner joy, how much happiness the Torah offers us. It's like constantly indulging in honey and milk. Now if I were to ask you, every morning we wake up and we make a bracha on the Torah. We, we start, <laughs> What is the nature of berchasat Torah? What type of blessing is berchasat Torah? So most people would say, I don't know, we always make a bracha before we perform a mitzvah. Before you put on a talis, you make a bracha. Before you put on tefillin, you make a bracha. Before you take a lul of an esrog, you make a bracha. Before you sit in a sukkah, you make a bracha. What is the nature then of Berches HaTairah? You would expect It's a blessing you make before you perform the mitzvah of Talmud Says a lavush. no, you're making a big mistake. Because Chazal say, what's the reason why in the times of the Chorben Beis HaMikdash, there were... So few, Tamid chachamim. There are so few learned people. Alma of the Haaretz, Chazal say they were not making Berches HaTayrah. So the Levush is bothered. What do you mean they weren't making Berches Because the Gemara says nobody could really figure out why did Hashem allow this to happen to them. And they asked the Rabbis. The Rabbis didn't know. They asked the uh, the angels, the angels didn't know. They asked the prophets. The prophets didn't know. Only God Himself was able to say they weren't making berchah you know, Hey, pal, this is not rocket science. Why, why couldn't anyone figure out? Go to Shoal. You'll see people are opening up the Siddur. They're saying, Asher Yatsar. They're saying, nishama. And then they're going straight to Asher. Nobody's making berchah What's so complicated over here? Nobody knew they weren't making Berches HaToyrah. Says the Avada they made Berches HaToyrah. They said, La'sayk B'divay with so much kavana. They said, Ashar B'chavonu with so much kavana, But they missed the boat. They made a fatal error. They thought, when you're learning Torah, you're doing a mitzvah. It's like you're shaking a lulav and esrug. It's like, you're saying Berches Hamazayim. It's like, you're sitting in the Sukkah. So they made a bracha over their learning as if they were being a mitzvah. But Birchas HaTorah is not a Birchas ha-mitzvah. Birchas HaTorah is Birchas hanehene. It's a blessing that you make when you get enjoyment in life. When you eat pizza, you make a bracha. When you eat steak, you make a bracha. When you drink Snapple, you make a bracha. Because La Adam Le one is not allowed to take enjoyment from this world without making a blessing. But wait a second. There's no enjoyment by shaking a lul of an The Gemara tells us, mitzvah mitnu. There's a principle that we are not considered to get joy from the actual performance of a mitzvah. A mitzvah doesn't give us a certain physical happiness. We're doing what God said. It's a responsibility that we have to execute. Nevertheless, says the lavosh, that's when it comes to 612 mitzvahs. But there's one mitzvah in the Torah that the mitzvah is defined by the following principle. Hashem says, I want you not to learn Torah. There's no mitzvah to learn Torah. I want you to derive enjoyment from the Torah. I want you to derive happiness from the Torah. I want you to derive inner satisfaction and joy from the learning. That's the mitzvah, that's the nature of the mitzvah, that's the qualitative nature of the mitzvah. There's no mitzvah just to learn. Abba, Daddy, where'd you go tonight? Well, just like in the time of the Romans where our lives were threatened, and we risked our lives to learn Torah, even though we really didn't want to, and just like in the Holocaust, we risked our lives. I went to the Koylel tonight to learn. Boy, was it difficult, and I was sweating the whole time, but I did it like I shook a lulav and esrug. There's no such mitzvah. Yaakov, Rachel, you know where I went tonight? Tonight I went to... To derive great happiness and joy. Where'd you go? You went to the Phillies game? You went to the Flyers? No. I went to the Keilah. The Kailah? What were they giving There was a barbecue in the Keilah? No. I was learning in the Keilah. Learning is the greatest happiness. Learning is the greatest joy. Learning is the simcha of a Jew. The parameter of the mitzvah of Talmud Torah is such... There is no mitzvah to learn. The mitzvah is to get an enjoyment from the learning. This even has halachic ramifications. The Nezer writes in his Akdamah that if somebody made a nether, if somebody took a vow, that they're not going to get enjoyment from Ruvain. The only thing is, it's Rosh Hashanah, and Ruvain's the only guy with a shoifah. Can you blow Ruvain's shoifah on Rosh Hashanah? You took a vow, you're not going to get enjoyment from Ruvain, you could blow Ruvain's shoifah. Because blowing a shofar is not considered enjoyment. You're doing a mitzvah. God said, Do the mitzvah. Do the mitzvah. But if you took a vow, you're not going to get enjoyment from Ruvain, and you need a Gemara that Ruvain has, you can't borrow his Gemara. What do you mean? What, what kind of enjoyment am I getting from the Gemara? I'm just learning the Gemara. I'm, I'm just doing a mitzvah. No. The mitzvah of Talmud Torah is a mitzvah to enjoy the milk the honey, the delectability, the, the way the mitzvah is qualified. It's a mitzvah of deriving pleasure. In fact, I'm sure everyone is familiar with the monumental words of the Arachayim HaKadosh and Parashas Kisavai. The Arachayim writes incredible words on the pasuk, the Samachta hatay. You should rejoice with all of the good and the Arachayim HaKadosh says, what is truly good in this world? What is the epitome of good? What is the quintessential goodness that we have? Aim toiv Ella toira. V'samachta rejoice with all the good, says Arachayim HaKadosh. "Em hayu b'nei adam margishin b'mesikos va'arevos toiv hatoira. If a human being with sense the sweetness, the enjoyable quality of the (laughs) Torah, a person would insanely pursue the (laughs) Torah. Nothing else in this world would have any value. If one would stop and recognize for a moment the great happiness, the great joy, the simcha, that comes from learning Torah, they would blindly run after it and forget about anything else that exists in this world. The enjoyable quality of learning. But I want to share with you one more element of Torah. Yes, we know it's our life, we know it's been the life of a Jew. 3,300 years. Since that fateful day when the Ribbon spoke to Klaus and Harsina, you know, it's an interesting thing. In Shar it says that the nations of the world come to Klal Yisrael and they tell Klal Yisrael, come on, why are you still busy with your Judaism, with your Talmud, with your Gemara? Shuvi, Shuvi, Hashulamis, return, return, you rose. Shuvi, Shuvi, Vinechazabach, return to us, Vinechazabach. We'll give you power, we'll give you position, we'll give you prestige. Just join us. And what's the response of Kla Yisrael to these attempts of the nations of the world? We tell the nations of the world, What could you give to us? Can you rival the dancing at the camps? You know what we tell the nations of the world? So, Beethoven Biebenfeld said, stubbornly for 3,300 years, you say, Nations of the world, what are you going to give us? We're going to become the President of the United States. We're going to become wealthy. We're going to become rich. You know what you have to compete with? You have to compete with the awesome experience of Harsinai. That powerful experience of Harsinai, you know, when the United States dropped the atom bomb, Hiroshima, Nagasaki, there's actually an interesting phenomenon. That if anyone was standing in the vicinity of the atom bomb, the blinding light of the energy, of the nuclear energy of the of the atom bomb, created a phenomenon called nuclear shadows. That means you had a guy standing like this at the bridge. The blinding light of the atom bomb seared an image of that person onto the bridge. And you could go there today and you could see the guy who 80 years ago was standing there and he seared his images seared onto the bridge. Nuclear shadows. Says Rabin Mechayi, the awesome experience of Kabbalah Sater, so powerful, is such an eternal happiness that it is seared onto the soul of every Jew so that 3,300 years later we tell the nations of the world, what could you offer us? You think we would ever exchange in that awesome experience, that rendezvous with the Rabbeinu There's no competition over here. But I want to share with you one last nekuda when it comes to Liman Torah. We've heard many times over this Shabbos, in Bechukhoi Sayi Telechu, God says, if you follow my statutes, life will be good. It will rain. It will rain in May. It could rain in the middle of May. You'll have rain at the right time. Your stocks will go up. Your portfolio will go up. You'll be happy. You'll be successful. In the Sayi Telechu, which Rashi says it doesn't mean if you keep the mitzvahs, because uh, the next phrase is you'll keep the mitzvahs. And mechukai say means chumim shetiyu amelem That if the Jewish people are engrossed and work and toil in tyra, life will be good. And the question is, how does Rashi know it means that we have to toil in tyra? Maybe it just means, if we learn tyra. where do you see anything about toiling in tyra? Who says we have to work so hard? Granted, it means beyond just keeping the mitzvahs. you have to learn the Torah. Who said anything about amelos B'Tayro over here? So famously, Rabbi Shmuel Rizovsky said as follows, It says in B'chukhoi say Lechu, you will go in my mitzvahs. Go implies from level to level to level, you will raise yourself up. And while mitzvahs are very important, and chesed is wonderful, and tzedakah is incredible, and tefillah is vital, there's only one way to elevate yourself. And that is working hard in learning, Torah. And if the pasuk says, you're going to go up, you're going to elevate, elevation is only possible through ameles betairah. I want to share with you an astounding Vilna Gain. If I were to ask you, categorize the various types of mitzvahs we have, so we would say, there's Beinah Domla Mokoyim and Beinah Domla chaveroi between you and God and between you and your friend. The graal ger- reveals that there's actually a third category of mitzvah that I personally, I wasn't aware of this. And I think this is a very modern concept that there are actually three categories of mitzvahs. Not only Bein Lamaka, Bein Odom And there are actually three categories of Averos. And the grub bases this on a Gemara M'sachem. Rav Sheishas. Rav Sheishas. would review his learning every 30 days. He would then climb up to the top of the mast of a ship, and he said, Chadoi Nafshoi, Chadoi Nafshoi. He would talk to himself. He would say, Rejoice, O oh soul, Rejoice, my soul. Rav Sheshesh would talk to himself. You do it, why can't he do it? <coughs> he would say to himself, Rejoice, rejoice. So the Gemara asks, Why was Rabsheshes focused on his own joy in the Torah? After all, when we know that when a person learns Torah, he upholds the entire world. So shouldn't he have had a more broad intention, more broad kavanah, that the whole world is rejoicing in my Torah? And the Gemara says the following words, Meikara ki inish adite ka avid which one would mistakenly translate when you start learning you start to learn for yourself but that's not what the words mean the word meikara does not mean in the beginning as we're about to see it says a vilna sefer Devaram, there are three categories of mitzvahs. there's bein adam going between you and god there's benadam l'chaveroi, between you and your friend. And there's a third category of mitzvah, between you and you, So let's get some examples. What's benadam Prayer. You're communicating with the Almighty, benadam the other pillar of the universe, Says the Grah, but the most important mitzvah in the Torah is not Bein Adam la and it's not Bein Adam la it's Bein Adam la Because God gave you a soul, and that soul has endless greatness and endless potential. So, how do you actualize your greatness? How do you bring out your abilities? How do you bring to the forefront the latent endless, infinite, divine nature that every soul has been imbued with. How do you become something? How do you make something of yourself? There's only one way to do it. You could pray. Prayer is great. You will connect with the Lord. And you could do chesed. You will connect with your friend. But you will remain the way you were. But how do you actualize yourself? Bein Adam la'atzmaih. The Gros says, likewise, there are three types of sin. Murder, that's <laughs> that severs your... It's hard to have a relationship with the guy that you just murdered. They find it very difficult to do that. Avodizara, hard to connect with the Creator when you serve Avodizara. And illicit behavior, Arayos. Noyev ish lev, You destroy yourself. On the other hand, chesed will connect you to your friend, to your neighbor, to someone in your community. Tfila will connect you to the Almighty. But how do you actualize the greatness that rests inside of you? How do you become something? How do you elevate? There's only one way to do that. Talmud Torah. Learning the Torah makes you a greater individual, a greater soul, a greater father, a greater mother, a greater brother, a greater sister, a greater son, a greater daughter, a greater Jew, a greater everything. Says the girl, where do I get this from? I get this from Rav Shishas. Rav every 30 days, he would say, Chadoi nafshoi, chadoi nafshoi. Rejoice, Rav Sheishas. Rejoice, Rav Sheishas. This one's for you. You made something of yourself. Now we understand, says Rav David Kain Rosh Hashiva of Hebron. Rav Yosef on the Yamtiv of Shvuas, he made a Yamtiv. He said, if not for the day, El if not for the stay, Kama Yoisi Ika Beshuka, I would just be an ordinary Joe. But because of shvuas, I'm not just Yoysi, I'm Rav Yosef. Listen to the words of Rashi. Ilav hayoima ta'ira I elevated myself. I became something. I made something of myself. How do you make something of yourself? So I don't know. I don't have it within me. I'm not that talented. I don't have such great ability. But Tzaddik says the same way we have to believe in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we are likewise commanded to believe in ourselves. These are not two separate mitzvahs. It's the same mitzvah. Because if the Almighty gave us a soul and we're a piece of Him, the same way He has infinite greatness, so do we. So then how come uh, I'm still waiting for it to kick in? Friends, it's there. The greatness is there. The tool to bring it out is there. That's the happiness of Shavuos. The happiness of Shavuos is Male Hayoima Kama Yosi Ika Says Rab Friedlander. If we could just examine one more line of Gemara, the Gemara has a question: Why is Rav Shesha focusing on his own happiness? What about the fact that the whole world is benefiting from his Torah? Says Reb Friedlander. Meikara. Meikara doesn't mean in the beginning when you start, for starters, you should think about what it does for you. Meikara means primarily, fundamentally. Fundamentally, when we go to learn, yes, it's our life. Yes, it's honey and milk. It's enjoyable. It's happiness. But deep down inside of all of us, the greatest desire we have is that by traversing through this world for the short amount of time we have here, we want to at least make the most of ourselves. And that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us with the Torah. It is a tool to access the greatness that lays in our neshamis. We say every Shabbos, every Monday and Thursday when we put away the Torah, Eitz Chayim hi Lama chazikamba. The Torah is a tree of life, literally, to those who uphold her, to the supporters, to the friends of the Torah. The Torah is a tree of life. But says Reb Chaim this has another meaning as well. Says Reb Chaim picture the following scene: a man fell into impassable rapids, and they're threatening to pull him under, and his life is in danger. And he's about to go down, and there's a tree growing from the riverbank. And with his last ounce of strength, he's able to grab the tree. Picture for a moment, friends. How are you going to hold on to that tree that's going to save your life? Well, even though I'm a righty, I'm going to grab that tree with my left hand, with my pinky, and see if it's going to hold me up. I don't think so. Your life's on the line. That's your lifeline. How are you going to hold on to that tree? You're going to hold on to that tree with every fiber of your being and every ounce of energy that you have, because that's the Eitz Chaim. Says Rav Chaim we live in a world. It's a challenging world. There's so many things that threaten to pull us under. There's so many desires. There's so many challenges. The Yitzhar Haras are difficult. The challenges of life are difficult. The hurdles, the curveballs, the fastballs. But we have a lifeline. And the lifeline is the Torah. The Chumish, the Nevi'im, the Ksuvim, Talmud Bavli, Shulchan Aruch. That's our tree of life. How are we going to hold on to the lifeline? How will we be dedicated to the Torah? When we can, when we're available, when it's convenient, we're going to dedicate ourselves with every fiber of our being, with every ounce of energy we have, with every emotional fiber. We're going to give it our all, because the Torah is our life, the Torah is our happiness, the Torah is our joy, the Torah is the source, is kol hatoyev, it's a machta hatoyev. Says Reb Levi Yitzchak There's one yomtiv a year. You can't spend the whole day in shul, davening and learning. There's one day a year you gotta enjoy yourself. The yomtiv of is hakol moedim, de nami lachem. You know why you have to enjoy yourself? Because you need to tell your children, you need to tell your husbands, you need to tell your wives. This Torah over here. I'm not twisting myself into a pretzel to torture myself to learn Torah. The Torah is my happiness in life. And when we're committed to the Torah in that fashion, says the Levush, we're Zoicha to Bonim, Uvne Bonim, God fearing Jews, dedicated Jews, happy families, we're zoicha to the nachas that we're all hoping for. May Hakadosh Baruch Hu give us all the siyata d'shemaya. The then the merit of coming together this weekend to really elevate ourselves and elevate our commitment to the Torah. May Hakadosh Baruch Hu elevate the keren haTorah, elevate Klal Yisrael, and bless all of us with only brachov hatzlacha, Simcha sanachas, ad bi'asgal Thank you so much for hosting me. Brachov Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi Gladstein. I just want to offer a uh, personal reflection. I feel like and I'm sure that many of you who are taken in the hearing that we had this, this weekend Thank you.